Let's uh, turn now to our passage for this evening. So we're looking at Romans uh, chapter 6, and just the last section of that chapter. Romans chapter 6, verse 15. And before we read, let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word again. Help us to understand the depth of the riches of the grace of God in Jesus Christ that we have by faith so that we may live godly, holy lives with full hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So Romans 6.15 and uh, Paul asked another of these uh, kind of uh, questions that he puts into the the minds of his readers. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, And to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things uh, of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, And have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end. Eternal life. For the wages of sin. Is death. But the free gift of God. Is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. So we come to this last section. Of Romans chapter 6. And I like to. I usually like to recap. Maybe you're fed up with my recaps. But the reason I recap is because uh, I I think actually the subject matter of Romans chapter 6 is one of the neglected areas of the Christian life uh, about our sanctification and the foundations of our sanctification. And uh, there is a need to to really kind of bed that into our consciousness. What is it that we have in Jesus Christ? Um, that then helps us uh, in our living today. So we've seen that uh, it's through faith in Jesus Christ uh, that not only have uh, believers been justified by God's grace, in other words, uh, declared to be righteous in God's sight by grace, God declares it because of Jesus. So Jesus is the propitiatory sacrifice, He has dealt with the sin. He's borne the wrath on the cross. He says that back in chapter 3. He's borne the wrath of God. So the wrath of God that was 
directed towards us is directed to Jesus instead. The propitiation for our sins. And so now by faith in Jesus Christ, God can declare us righteous and be both just and the justifier. If, he, if it wasn't for Jesus, he, couldn't, he wouldn't be just in doing that and forgiving us our sins. He would be unjust. He would be unfair. But because Jesus has come, he can forgive us our sins and accept us as righteous in his sight. And so in God's eyes, as it were, he, he knows about our sin, of course, but, but in God's eyes, we are righteous because we're in Jesus Christ by faith. Jesus is the righteous one, and because we have faith in him, everything that's true of Jesus becomes true of us uh, by, by, uh, through that faith. And, uh, and, and that faith is also the faith by which we are now sanctified. So we're justified by faith, but now we are sanctified by faith. We're made holy. We are devoted to God, and we become characterized by holiness uh, and and, and righteous living. And it's by that same faith, through that same grace, in that same Christ, that we are sanctified. And so the, uh, and it's that faith, of course, that uh, we've seen earlier in this chapter, has brought us into connection with Jesus' death and resurrection. So just as Jesus died uh, on the cross, but then gloriously rose again, was raised to life from the dead, so the, the Christian who puts his faith in Jesus Christ dies to sin. Do you understand that? I hope you've picked that up as we've gone through it. Um, The old life has died when you put your faith in Jesus. It's like you were crucified on the cross with Jesus. And now you have a new life. Something has happened to you that you, you couldn't otherwise explain. But something has happened to you. You've been changed. God has uh, sovereignly monergistically come into your life and done something to you. And you're now a new person in Christ. And this is the basis of our ongoing sanctification. You are now a new person in Jesus Christ. Um, And I I just want to emphasize this, that um, Paul is is not here laying on his readers uh, a new moral imperative as such. You know, Die now to your sin and now live to righteousness. He's not really doing that. He is saying, you have already died to sin. And you already are living to righteousness. You are no longer a slave to your sins in the past. The way you were in the past. But you are now a slave to righteousness. Uh, You have been made a new person. This is true of you. And so the first step in our our Christian living is what Paul says in verse 11, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. It begins in the mind, how you think about yourself. You're a new person now. Think about yourself. Consider yourself dead to sin, alive to, uh, to righteousness, to Christ Jesus. Alive to God. 
And we know the great truth that is, is now true of us, and we looked at this last week in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Uh, this is uh, Paul saying, sin is not the boss of you now, nor ever shall be in the future. Sin does not control you. Sin does not dominate you. It does not determine your destiny. Grace determines your destiny. And therefore you're not under law, which only condemns you, but you're now under grace. This is a great truth of the gospel. Uh, So that means you're not a slave to your sins. (laughs) Uh, You don't live under its authority you live under the kindly kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in the kingdom of God now. As it were, you've kind of come home. We'll look at thinking about that this morning. And, uh, and knowing that, knowing those great truths that have happened to us, that changes everything for us. It should. It changes everything for us, for the true Christian. Uh, What Paul has said already is that for the Christian, where sin increased, grace has abounded all the more. In other words, that's chapter 5, verse 20. In other words, it doesn't matter how great your sin has been in the past. The grace of God is more than sufficient to cover you, cover them, cover those sins. And your sin cannot exhaust God's grace towards you and his kindness to you in Jesus Christ. And now, that has implications for you and I in the Christian life. Uh, We saw Paul uh, just imagining, asking this, uh, his readers asking a question, you know, if grace covers all my sins, then Paul says in chapter uh, chapter 6, verse 1, he says, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? There's a kind of perverted logic that says, well, if if there's enough grace to cover all my sins, then I can sin as much as I like. Uh, And I can just carry on in sin. And Paul says, by no means. Uh, God forbid. Some translations put it that way. And Paul's still not finished though. Because his readers may may not yet be convinced. And so he imagines another question. Similar but slightly different. Verse 15. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Answer, by no means. By no means. You don't keep sinning. Because it's not your boss anymore. Um, and straight away I think this, this tells us something about the Christian and the law. That we are, uh, we're not under the law. But at the same time we're not to sin. <laughs> you see? Uh, it's, you know, to get our heads around it. You know, some Christians say, well we're not under law anymore. So I don't, it doesn't really matter what I do. But that's a false reading of the text. We're not under the law in the sense that it controls us and condemns us. But it doesn't mean we're able to live as we like. Um, and the only way to, not to sin is, is to keep God's law. So in one sense we're not under the law. But in, in another sense we, are on, we remain under the law. And as we mentioned last week, we're not under the law in the sense of being under its judgment. Christ has borne that judgment for us. But we are under the law uh, in that it now becomes for us, as our confession says, the Westminster Confession says, 
it becomes for us a rule of life. It becomes uh, a shaping uh, set of commandments. So the Ten Commandments, for example, it becomes a shaping set of commandments. It governs you know, how we're, the principles by which we live. It doesn't earn for us salvation because that's already been done by Christ. But it does shape how we live. It gives direction. As newly resurrected people freed from that old master, and now we live to the new master with uh, the, the law uh, giving us a rule for life. Now Paul, Paul is, is continuing the argument as to why now this is the pattern of the Christian life. And let me just say again, he's not saying it so that if you, you know, by keeping the law somehow you gain salvation. He is saying, but he is saying that it is the pattern of the Christian life for those who have already received salvation that we no longer sin. So I've got three points just to draw out uh, this evening. Um, that was kind of a long introduction, but there, there we go. Uh, three points. Firstly, uh, from this passage, uh, firstly, in God's universe, there are only two masters. And a person can only be under one of them. There are only two masters. And a person, whoever they are, can only be under one of them. The second thing we're going to talk about is, under God, the Christian is being shaped and molded in holiness. He is being, he or she is being shaped in holiness. And thirdly, the certain end result of this work of God that is going on in us is eternal life. All right. So first of all, there is only one master. Uh, a person can only have one master. Now, to a certain extent, we've seen this already, but Paul emphasizes it again, and, and because he does, we should too, that there are, there are two masters in the universe um, that God has made. One is sin, and the other is God's grace. And either you are living as a slave to sin and you present yourself to sin and do all that it requires of you. You follow your heart. You do all the things you desire in life. You say, what are my passions? What are the things I really love to do in life? And I'm going to do those things regardless of what God says. I'm going to do those things. This is you enslaved to sin. You see? Because your, sin, your heart is corrupted. You do your own thing. And free reign, you see, is given to the deeper passions which have no regard for God. So that's one side. Or do you live as a slave to righteousness, living to the gods you have come to love and seeking to avoid sin? So who's your master? It's a simple question with a simple choice. Is it God or is it sin? Who's your master? Who's in charge of you? God or sin? And there is only one, one option. For each individual, there's only one answer to that. And we need to emphasize that basic division because I think there are lots of people around who think that between those two places, God, sin, there's a, a whopping great fence. And we can sit in the fence somehow. You know, ask a person in Solihull today where they stand with regard to Jesus Christ. And a lot, 
a lot of people will want to say they are they don't want to say that they're rejecting Jesus Christ after all isn't it true everybody seems to want Jesus as their friend so they say they're undecided they say they're kind of sitting on the fence it's as though there's this third realm you know, so you have this place of sin or this place of grace. And in the intermediate realm, there's somehow this place called Big Fence that I sit on. You know. And there's a lot of people on that fence, so they think. I'm all, we're all sitting on this wobbly fence. That's what they think. Well, here's the truth. There ain't no fence. <laughs> there is no fence. You're either... A slave to God, or you're a slave to sin. That's it. The only options. There are only two kingdoms. There are only two kings. You have either one king or the other to rule over you. And if you do not have the Son of God as your king, to whom you are submitted, and you are not presenting your body, your members, all your faculties to him, then you have sin as your master and you're a slave to it. You see? And remember, this is, this is it's not my opinion about this. It's not a special Presbyterian view of things. It's, this is how God sees the universe. You either have Christ as your king or you have sin as your king. And it doesn't really matter what your opinions are about it or my opinions are about it. God sees it this way. And as his word shows us, that's all that matters. So if there's anyone who's in any doubt about which kingdom they're standing in, in all likelihood it is that you're still standing in the kingdom of sin. And you're lost. And you desperately need to be saved. You need to be saved. There's no offense. And you need to turn to Jesus Christ right away this evening. Come to him and be saved. Here's the second thing. Uh, God is, is shaping and molding his people. Uh, see, what Paul's, Paul gives us in verse 17, uh, the purpose of bringing us under this new master. You see verse 17? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Notice that Paul is, is giving thanks to God. And, and I think his thankfulness is a, is a clear signal that God is up to something which is spelled out in this verse. And it's a, it's a bit of a complicated verse, but it's important Uh, Notice the change that Paul describes here. He says, once you, that is you Roman Christians, were were slaves to sin, but now you are obedient. Uh, You need to remember that this is a transformation that has already happened to them. They have been changed. They've been transformed. It's not something that they have worked up in themselves. They've decided to be obedient. And somehow God has noticed that and said, Oh, good. (laughs) No, rather God has come into their lives when they were rebellious and has changed them. And now they become obedient to God. Uh, 
And what they become obedient to, and I, I just this is my translation of it, um, they become obedient uh, from the heart to the pattern of doctrine to which you were delivered. Now that word committed might, might be misunderstood there, uh, because we often talk about our commitment to God, but really it's talking about us passively, and that actually God has committed us to a standard of teaching, you see? So you were committed by God to this standard of teaching. So let's just think through what God has done here. Two things to say about it. Firstly, a Christian is handed over to a pattern uh, of doctrine or teaching. And this word pattern is, uh, or standard is, is it's this idea of a mould. It's, it's a shape, isn't it? You know, a mould that shapes, uh, is ready for um, making something. And what he's saying is that the doctrine... And the teaching is actually going to mold and shape a person whom God has handed over to it. So God hands over to the word and the word then molds and shapes you uh, into something else. Something glorious. And this is what God is in the business of. He is in the business of reshaping his saved people. Uh, He never keeps you as you, he always receives you. Just as I am. That's how the hymn goes, just as I am. I long to be, so on. Uh, But, you know, he does accept us as we are, but he never leaves us as we are. But he molds us, and he shapes us through this pattern of teaching. And so, you know, all those old passions that used to drive you in the old life, uh, you know, the powers of Satan will still try and fan those into flame. And so you'll still find them rising up within you. But God in his grace gives you over to this pattern of teaching where he's going to reshape all of those things. Reshape those passions and desires. They they will be replaced by new loves, new passions, new longings. This is what God is intending to do through the word of scripture. And there is no old habit, no old passion that will not and cannot be changed by the gospel. Lots of people around today who carry around their sins in their bodies. And some of them sexual sins, but they may not necessarily be sexual sins. They may be sins of a sense of identity. And they say that these things are immutable in me. I cannot be changed. But from this basic disposition that I seem to have, there is no passion. I need to say to you again, there is no passion that the grace of God cannot overcome and change and reshape in you through the pattern of doctrine and teaching that he gives us. So that's the first thing, the pattern of doctrine. The second thing that God has done in us uh, is that whatever obedience comes, it comes from the heart. This new obedience that comes to the Christian, it comes from the heart. Now, to explain this, you need to understand there are different kinds of obedience, aren't there? Um, there is that obedience that comes out of a sense of duty or fear. 
but it doesn't come out of the heart. Uh, you may find this at work. You know, your, your boss tells you to do something. And you don't really want to. Maybe you even believe it's a mistake. But you do it, but you don't have much zeal for it because he's your boss and you, t- you just get on with it. Or, you know, all of us have grown up in families where we've uh, not liked the fact that our parents have told us to do things and we think, yeah, I don't want to do that. But they kind of force you to do it. I see some faces. <laughs> Looks being exchanged over here. Um, but no, this is, this is what it's like. Sometimes as, as, as teenagers, as we grow up, you know, we, we have to learn. We go through that kind of period of, of dry duty to our parents. We don't really want to do it, do we? And we have to be kind of ushered and shoved and pushed and so on. But that, 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 that kind of attitude is all over life, isn't it? Um, there's that kind of obedience, fear or duty. But there's another kind of obedience, the kind of obedience that comes out of love. Now, I'm not suggesting anybody necessarily need to love their boss, though I'm sure it's not a bad thing. But, you know, you, when you buy into a project or a, a, a task or you've got a vision for the work that's in front of you, then it's a great joy, isn't it, to enter into uh, that project with a great sense of purpose and, and with a goal in front of you. Uh, and you do it out of, uh, uh, in a sense, out of love, don't you? Uh, this is the kind of thing that uh, Paul is, is speaking of here. When, it, when this transformation happens to the Christian, the Christian begins to obey out of love. Do you know, love for God, love for God's people. It's a total transformation of, of attitude of life. And uh, you do it with eagerness. It just flows from you, this kind of obedience. And this is what happens when somebody is delivered from being a slave to sin, now being a slave to righteousness, being from the, that kingdom of darkness, of sinfulness, to that kingdom of grace and kindness in God, in Jesus Christ. You suddenly become a new person, almost like a new person. Indeed you are, by grace. And you begin to want to order your life in accordance with the teaching of the Bible. And so all of aspects of your life begin to fall into place. You begin to love your, your husband or wife according to the biblical pattern. You begin to ra- want to raise your children uh, in, according to the covenant commands. You want to do your work, your daily work to the glory of God. You want to serve the mission of the church. You want to participate in the, the prayer life of the church. You want to participate in the evangelism of the church. To play a part in it. Whatever small part that may be. Because in your heart, you're, you, you want to be obedient to righteousness. Because you've been changed. So I ask you today, I mean, is, does that describe you? Does any of that describe you today? Uh, just examine your heart for a moment. Are you eager to be obedient to God? Or are you reluctant to be obedient to God? That tells you a great deal about the state of your spiritual life. Is this what you're giving your life for? Are you ready to be shaped by God's word? Are you putting yourself at his disposal to make of you what he will in his wonderful kingdom? Well, God is in the business of shaping us now. But here's the last thing. And uh, the end result of that process, which he describes as sanctification here, is eternal life. 
eternal life. And he brings this out by way of contrasting life in the two kingdoms. Actually contrasting the fruit that comes from them. As though, almost as though they were kind of like two vineyards. And you're wandering through the vineyards and you're saying, what's the fruit that comes in this vineyard? And what's the fruit that comes out of this vineyard? What's the difference? And uh, on one side is that vineyard called sin. And the other side is that vineyard called the kingdom of grace. What's the fruit? And he's asking them as Christians, not as the non-Christians they once were, uh, you know, if you ask a non-Christian whether they're enjoying life just now and be- benefiting from it and asking them if it's fruitful or not, uh, then, of course, they will agree that it's... Uh, they, they will say, yes, I'm enjoying life. Uh, it's, it's a fallacy to think that non-Christians don't enjoy life. But the question is, what's the fruits, the ultimate fruits that's coming from the kind of life that they're living? And Christians see this more clearly. Um, what is, what is coming of that? And Paul says to Christians in verse 21, What fruit were you getting at the time of the things of which, uh, from the things of which you are now ashamed? What fruit were you getting? The end of those things is death. That's the ultimate fruit. Death. I'll come to what death is in a minute. But, uh, you know, this is the... There is no fruit from that kind of life. And if, if you're on that road of living for your own enjoyment and living to sin and so on, uh, there is no end to this. There is no good end to it. It takes you, as it were, to the edge of a precipice over which, death, which, over which is death, and it's, there is no return from it. And it's not, he's not just talking here about physical death. He's talking about eternal death. Uh, There was a fellow called uh, Robert Haldane who wrote a commentary on Romans in the 19th century. Um, He was a man who, a Scotsman who who ministered in Geneva in the early 19th century, uh, a couple of centuries after, century and a half or so after Calvin. No, two and a half centuries after Calvin. Can't do the sums. Uh, And he preached through Romans in 1816. And it led to something of a revival in Geneva and, and actually Switzerland. Uh, but here's what he says about this, uh, this verse. And he's actually got many pages on this one verse, actually, verse 23. Um, he speaks about death here. And he says, the punishment, so it's a fairly lengthy quote, the punishment of that death which was the threatened penalty of the first transgression, that's Adam's transgression, will, according to Scripture, consist in the pains of both privation and suffering. Its subjects will not only be bereaved of all that is good, they will also be overwhelmed with all that is terrible. As the chief good of the creature is the enjoyment of the love of God, How great must be the punishment of being deprived of the sense of his love and oppressed with the consciousness of his hatreds. The condemned will be entirely divested of every token of the protection and blessing of God and visited with every proof of his wrath and indignation. 
according to the lawful declaration of the apostle, they shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. In that day when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get a sense of the severity of this statement? That the fruit of a life in sin is death and the wages of sin is death that... It comes as night follows day, as payment follows the work, that death comes if you give yourself to the kingdom of sin. And as I said, there is no fence in the middle. You're either in the kingdom of grace or in the kingdom of sin. Christians can get a little muddled by this. We lose our focus. We lose our clarity as we are tempted by sin and seduced by it and it fogs up our vision. But Paul is, as it were, cleaning our glasses for us so that we can see clearly again that that previous life was leading to eternal death. No one ends up there by accident because the wages of sin is death. Death is earned. This death is deserved by those who live that way. They've no one else to blame but themselves if people find themselves there. So Christians, remember what you were and what you have become in Jesus Christ. Your destiny is not that life of death. Your destiny is eternal life. Here's a great truth. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. This is what God is about for us. He is about bringing us to eternal life. That's why he has delivered you and me, if you're a Christian today, out of that old life so that you can now live a new life, a a life that is eternal that is not marked by death. And it's not earned. It's not notched up through acts of obedience to a heavenly, and you've, you've got this heavenly loyalty card that you've reached, the, reached the, the threshold for. God is giving it to you freely when you don't deserve it. It has been won for you by Jesus Christ on the cross, But it's now being given to you in him as you trust in him. And you are bonded to him by faith. And step by step, he is leading you to eternal life. It is a certainty, but we don't have it yet. And he leads us to it through holiness, through sanctification. Friends, did you know that this... Sanctification that God is working you in you is absolutely essential to your salvation. Without sanctification, there is no salvation. Hebrews 12:14. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
And you see, if God is not working sanctification in you, he is not working salvation in you, and there is no eternal life for you. But oh, the great gift that he holds out to anyone who will have it if you come to Jesus Christ. Do you have it? As you gather this evening, do you have that gift? Jesus, I think, tells us to count the cost of following him. You may be wondering, have I come to Christ? Should I come to Christ? Should I come? And you may, it's it's right and good to count the cost of what it's going to mean for your life because your life will not be the same again. Your life will be changed. But you need to count the cost because following Jesus Christ can be costly. But your life will be remolded and reshaped into his image. But it will be a cultivated and a fruitful life leading to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would know this life. Oh, Father, we pray that you'd help us to understand what you're doing now, that you, you are sanctifying us and preparing us for eternal life. Pray you give us that heart, that obedience from the heart that seeks to live for you. And in the midst of it, as we are conformed to the pattern of teaching and doctrine that we find in the scripture, you make us more and more like Christ. For his name's sake, amen.